G'day, welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Welcome to show 143. We've got a bit of a big one for you today. Bob McMillan's in at the end there with a rather controversial something to talk about. You want to hang around and have a listen to that and listen to it all the way through because Bob gets stuck right into it. We've got Jackson James and Tammy Moxon, musicians today. Brad James we had on on the show a while ago with the Sitting on a Dock All Day song and bad request to put that on again. So it's on again and Trev Warner and I have a bit of a chat about safety ramps. Great show. Let's go. Let's get this show on the road. Yes, get on with it. G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road. But when we're on the road, we're listening to the on the road. (laughs) There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Here on the road, it's time for the news. G'day, Mike. G'day, mate. How are you? Doing all right, mate. I've been feeling for you because I expect yeah. you're probably feeling pretty disappointed and depressed over the news that the WA Premier Mark McGowan's resigned. <laughs> well, I had that down to talk to at the end. I was going to say it's McLean's last day. Yeah, because I know you had a soft spot for the guy. Oh, yeah. Love, yeah. Just I had a bit of a man crush on him. You know, I thought, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. I didn't. <laughs> no. Uh, no, I think we all know that. Hey, listen, I hear you had a run-in with a tooth fairy last week. I did, yeah, last Thursday. It was not fun. Was your appointment at 2.30? 2.30? It was 2.30. No, it was, I got in a little bit earlier than 2.30, but yeah. I'll tell you what, by 2.30 I was feeling nothing. I couldn't even speak. I was dribbling out the side of my mouth. It was not a good look. Oh, I bet it wasn't. Hmm. Do you hear about the Buddhist who refused to have any anaesthetic prior to having his wisdom teeth pulled? No, I didn't. Am I going to regret this? Apparently, he wanted to transcend dental medication. (laughs) Oh, gee. Okay, righto. I used to play in a band with a dentist. Did you? Yeah, he married a manicurist. They ended up separating. All they did was fight tooth and nail. Yeah. I could see that coming. Seriously, though, the prices dentists are charging these days, it's just exorbitant, isn't it? $440 to get the tooth out. Holy cow. 
And, uh, of course, we had to have a little x-ray first just to make sure we weren't going to get involved in anything in there. There was you know, nothing but tooth and jaw in there, so mm. another couple of hundred bucks. Yeah. And, uh, of course, now we've we got the lecture that I need to uh, do something about my, you know, brushing the teeth and, you know, you've got to brush your teeth more regularly and all that sort of stuff. I've, mm. got, a, I've, got, I've got a denture in the top plate, so, you know, I don't know what you expect to do with that. But, don't you um, just whip yeah. it out and drop it in the glass beside the bed at night? That's about what I do, yeah. It's not a good look. No. Well, I was thinking about the prices thing. It reminded me when my son finished high school, mm. he was trying to decide what to study as a vocation, but he, his whole drive was how he was going to get rich quickly, as most kids do. Yeah. So he said to me, what do, what do you think I should be, Dad? What would be better, a cardiac surgeon or a dentist? <laughs> yeah. I recommended he choose dentistry as humans only have got one heart, but they've got 32 teeth. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> you know, I know a dentist that became a cosmetic surgeon. That's true. Really? Yeah, fair dinkum. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, it's that, that, that's that true. He's a dentist and he went to the School of Dentistry in Melbourne and ended up becoming a cosmetic surgeon. Oh, I was waiting for the punchline. No, there's no punchline. <laughs> there's no punchline. It's, tr- it's scary, I know, but true. There you go. They're a miserable lot, those dentists. They're always looking down in the mouth, aren't they? That's right, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Is it time to get serious? Are we going to get on with the news now or not? Yeah, we probably should, mate. We'll never yeah. talk about the... It's been a busy week with the, you know, a couple of weeks with the truck show and all that sort of stuff. There's a hell of a lot of stuff that's been happening that we, we haven't been talking about. Mm. So I just thought maybe we could just run through a few of the headlines that we aren't talking about at the moment. We're not going to talk about today anyway. Do yourself a favour, as my old mate Molly would say. Bit of yeah. a skip round the trucking media, you'll find some stories. Daimler have unveiled their new medium duty uh, electric truck. It's called a Rise On. Oh, yeah. Rise On, not Horizon, just a Rise On. Yeah. Queensland Fire and Emergency Service uh, uh, made a, a Volvo electric truck order, so they've ordered a, a truck from Volvo. It's no. all electric, it's all about electric. Whole sim places an order for a thousand electric Volvo trucks. That'll keep Volvo out of trouble for a little while, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Daimler of recalls of impacted Fuso and Freightliner. Mm. Volvo have delivered their 75,000th truck wow. in Australia, which that's an achievement. You've got to give them that. That is an achievement. Oh, for sure. Nino and Fuso have announced a merger as trucking company's partner to drive trucking technology. That's a big headline, that one. Isuzu and Honda have bet on hydrogen. Okay. And UD get ready to celebrate 50 years of selling trucks in Australia. There's a lot more than that, though. There's a hell of a lot more than that. We're going to have a look at a couple of stories now in a little bit greater depth. Yeah. Well, it's all going on. It is, mate. It's it's just been huge. Obviously, it's all been swamped by the truck show and, you know, getting my teeth yanked out and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so life goes on. It does. Mate, a new overtaking lane constructed on the Newell Highway is underway a couple of k south of Narandra at Bundanjeri. Hey, I remember them. They were a great band. What was their hit in the summer time? Oh, no, sorry, that was Mungo Jerry, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was. Oh, My mistake. mistake. Meanwhile, back at the overtaking lane story. Well, mate, as far as I can see, like I love overtaking lanes, particularly on places like the Newell Highway or anywhere. Just another place for people to sort of... Uh, increase speed to 105 so that you can't get past them safely. It's great, yeah. you know. There should be more of it. Mm. Um, but that's, you know, it, it's always a nice thing to have a little bit of extra open road. Uh, the home str- I think you had your tongue in your cheek where your tooth used to be then. <laughs> <laughs> I 
oh, look, how can you, how can you be serious about this stuff? No, I no. mean, the amount of money we spend on roads in this country is absolutely outrageous. Um, the amount of, you know, the, the quality of the roads when they're built is just, a, a, well, it's a sick joke. There's no other way to put it. Mm. And, uh, you know, they talk about how these roads will particularly benefit freight operators, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, they benefit the whole country. Motorists in general benefit from better roads. Road safety comes from having good quality, well-built roads. That's one of the key components. And, uh, you know, it's almost as if we do it, they're doing us a favour by building a road for us with the taxes we pay, you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> you, see, you know what I mean? Crazy. Yep. Yeah, just, yep. just crazy. Hmm. Well, last Sunday, thousands of people lined the streets to cheer on the Power 100 convoy for the cure in Townsville. 245 trucks and 85 mighty motorcycles. Very cool. Very cool, mate. And every time we talk about this, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It does. Unbelievable the amount of guys that are doing this. The large fleet winner for, of the prize up there uh, was Nortrans from Townsville. They raised 11200 and some odd dollars. Hmm. DF and DL Drain Transport raised another like seventy eight hundred dollars, and you know small fleets all raising a couple of two or three thousand bucks. It's an incredible. It's a great day. Uh, our uh, resident photographer for Truck and Life, Carl Black at Black Thunder Photography, was up there and took a few photos. Uh, it's just great news. And there's photos there. Like if you get on the media and have a bit of a look, there's children and, uh, on bikes, the cops, and and everyone's there. They're all, everyone's happy. Everyone loves a convoy, you know. They love the convoy for kids, raises money for good things. These guys, the convoy for a cure, what can you say? Good work. Happy cops, whatever next. Yeah, it's scary stuff really, isn't it? Isn't it what? Pretty cracking looking trucks up there too. Really mm. nice looking bits of gear and uh, well done, guys. Well done, everyone involved. Absolutely. Mike, following road camera trials in WA, the state government has decided to install six new permanent point-to-point safety cameras across WA in an ongoing effort to reduce the number of deaths and serious injuries on the roads. Or an ongoing effort to increase the tax revenue of the state, depending on your point of view. Well, there's that too, yeah. I mean, welcome to the world, Western Australia. You're now going to get shafted just like the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome is, to Queensland, Western well, Australia. Welcome to Queensland. I mean, is there any is there any other way to put it? Cameras are a great thing; they really are. They do stop a little bit. You know, you put a little bit. You know, put a few signs up. What I find wildly amusing: they did their trial. WA government said the results of the six month trial of six safety cameras are compelling. The cameras were paired in three locations, monitored for a total of eight million vehicles in ninety four locations across Western Australia. 42,000 drivers detected doing the wrong thing, some of them multiple times. Um, In the trial, there were 10,000 drivers caught using their phones, a lot of repeat offenders. Now, while there were no actual demerit points or infringement notice issues during the trial, if they had been, it would have been 120,000 demerit points. Wow. (laughs) It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. So they're saying that they're going to put 100% of the money generated by automated traffic enforcement fines placed into the Road Trauma Trust account, which is then spent on initiatives and resources to increase road safety, no. like the six new cameras. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
They'll use the money that they take off people to buy more cameras to take more money off people. Maybe I'm just too cynic, well, cynical. And maybe they're going to buy more round tables for their round Mate, table discussions. Too. They need to have a few round table discussions. I'd love to have a robust discussion with some of these people. I mean, what are they thinking, really? Robust. <laughs> you know, what are they thinking? Oh, <laughs> the, yeah. The fact is that marked highway patrol cars and motorcycles slow people down. Yep. It's as simple as that, you know. I still like those cutouts they used to have of the of the, the highway patrol cars and the US cardboard things they'd stick behind bushes. And... <laughs> oh, dear, dear. But you want to hear the best one? This is the best one, right? Hmm. High-tech eyes on the road and all that sort of stuff. The worst recidivist driver during the trial was caught so many times that had been issued with 80 demerit points, right? Mm. And about 2,000 drivers would have lost their licence in total. <laughs> so the question I, I sort of asked, look, obviously we've got a few people there that, the, that think the law doesn't apply to them. I get it, yeah. right? Yeah. I do get it. But the way to fix that is to catch these people in the act and sit there with the red and blues flash and write them a ticket and everyone sees they're getting a ticket. It's, uh, it's, it's always seemed to work. Something mm. that's sort of gone by the wayside, you know, much easier just to catch them and go, ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. We've caught you, caught you, caught you. Send them a letter in the mail and just people go, oh, for God's sake. Yep. So, you know, and in the Western Australian cameras that I saw over there, I don't know what these ones were like, but they have these little black tripods and green cameras and they sit them on the side of the road. You don't see them until you're right on top of them, if you see them at all. Yeah. So, you know, and of course, everyone, as soon as they spot a camera, they madly flash everyone and all that sort of thing. Mm. Cameras don't work, not in my view. They're revenue raisers. I wonder how far you'd have to go off the tarmac to actually wipe one of those little tripods out. Uh, not far, but there's usually a police van sort of well hidden, pretty close by. So if you did it, I'd say you'd get caught. Well, you'd have to be ready to take that out as well. <laughs> oh, no, don't, you don't say that. We can't even. Now, I'm not recommending this, gentlemen no, and ladies. No, no, let's it's just not purely meant that. as humour. Let's not recommend that at all. No. Right, No. Well, still on the subject of road safety, Mike, I'm sure you're going to love this. After taking on board the concerns of road safety experts, the federal government has initiated a new National Road Safety Action Grants program to help fund road safety initiatives and programs around the country. They have. They mm. really they have, and it's absolutely mind-blowing. And when I actually find the story again, because mm. I shut the window, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it. You had enough yeah. of the news already, have you? <laughs> I have had enough of the news already, mate. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're going to go ahead. We're going to do this grant thing. Here we go. Just found it again. That's it. Brought it up in front of me. $43.6 million over four years yep. for uh, for grants to do things we already know about. Mm. It's uh, It's really quite amazing to me they sort of seem to think that if we throw more money at it, we'll solve the problem. You're never going to solve the problem. It's, it's, they've, what are they called? What's the acronym for this? NRSAGP has been established to provide grant funding into programs and initiatives with the assistance of the Australian government's commitment to Vision Zero. Have you ever heard anything more ludicrous in your life? Vision Zero? No, not really. I mean, while no. there are humans driving cars, people are going to do stupid things and die. It's as simple as that. Mm. I mean, I hate, it's very harsh to say that, but it's a reality. Well, we have politicians. Politicians are going to do stupid things, aren't they? Oh, 
don't even start me on politicians doing stupid things, mate. We'd be here all week. Mm. There are nine key priority areas to this grant, which is data and research, infrastructure planning and investment. They are all smart things to do. Collect the data, do some research, look at the infrastructure, plan it, make it better, and then invest in it. I've got no issue with any of that. Mm. That is smart if it's done. Mm. Then, of course, we've got Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Are they overrepresented compared to the rest of us in the road accident data? Mm. I wonder. Mm. Is, there, is there a reason why we need to do something special for one sector of the community? What about redheads? No, oh, don't get me started on redheads. I used to be married to one of them. <laughs> I was married to one of those too. It was a bit of a <laughs> bit of a bit of a thing. Yeah. Uh, regional road safety. Okay, fine. Regional road safety. That's fine. That. I mean, things happen on regional roads that don't happen in the city. I get that. Remote road safety, okay, fine. Once again, things happen on remote roads that don't happen everywhere else. Then we talk general vehicle safety, hmm. heavy vehicle safety. Heavy vehicles are one of the most regulated sector of vehicles in the country yep. right now. Yep. There's no more money needed to regulate heavy vehicles, let me tell you. You drive up and down any major highway in this country, there's always a, a NHVR or... Uh, whatever buddy check-in station there we are checked and photographed filmed and and there are more regulations on trucks than anywhere in the country we don't need any more money spent on that take more word for it workplace road safety now this is an interesting one to me Mm -hmm. are we talking about the people that work on the roads like truck drivers or are we talking about the people that work on the roads like the road maintenance people and the road construction crews i'm thinking the latter well i'll be thinking the latter too but, mm. you know, it's just as much a truck driver's workplace as it is someone that works on road maintenance. And shouldn't things like rest areas, occupational health and safety for truck drivers and all that come into road safety as well, wouldn't you think? I would. Well, mate, I was going to say probably a better investment would be on something like, I don't know, say green reflector programs or something yeah, like that. Yeah, no, that'd be nice. I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of that. That'd be good. Mm. Then we talk about vulnerable road users. Oh, that's me. Are you a vulnerable road user? Only when I'm on my bike, yeah. yeah. More vulnerable than others. Mm. Of course, there's the, there's those riding and deadly treadleys running around and, of course, pedestrians. Oh, well, they've got are, no right to be anywhere near the road, those people. Well, you know, we could, we could talk about that. I mean... I've just upset all the cyclists and that. <laughs> what do they call them? Mammals. Yeah. Middle-aged men in Lycra. Yeah. <laughs> Lycra is a privilege, not a right. Oh, mate, look, for me... They spent millions and millions and millions of dollars building bicycle lanes all over the place in Sydney, around the M7 and, you know, there's bicycle lanes everywhere you go, they build bicycle lanes and yet these cretins still think it's a good idea to mm. ride down the bloody emergency lane on a freeway. Mm. Rack off, you know? I mean, if you... Don't even start me. Of course, and then these clowns that run, that, that do the bike race from one side of Australia to another, mm. out on the air highway at stupid o'clock in the morning riding their bike because they're trying to win a bike race. Mm. They're tired, they're exhausted, they're not paying attention to what they're doing. I wouldn't ride a bloody bike out there when I could see what was going on, let alone ride one in the dark. Absolutely mental. And, of course, you know they think that if they've got a little orange flashy light or something on the back of it, people don't know what's going on. Mental, yeah. crazy, vulnerable yeah. road users. Well, I tell you what, those bike lanes, I can tell you as a fact that they really don't like it when you ride your motorbike down there. I've heard. <laughs> well... <laughs> Someone told me. Here's the thing. Maybe you could identify as a bike rider and win the Tour de France. How's that? Yeah, well, easy. Not a That'd problem. work, wouldn't it? Yeah. You are what you... Yeah, well, Triumph used to make bicycles too. You so. are what you say you are. Um, 
I'll just paint the engine in invisible paint or something. Oh, no, no, no. You can just identify as a bike rider, mate. It's all right. Don't worry about it. True enough, but can you imagine me in Lycra? <laughs> oh, geez, I feel ill. I yeah. feel physically ill now. There you go. Risky road use is the last one. Hmm. Risky road use. Uh, I mean, you can't get that image out of your mind. No, you? I'm screwed now, mate. I was gonna, I was gonna go off on a bit of a tangent with risky road news, but I'm done now. Thanks very much. Oh, that's it. That's the news. We're done. Sorry. All right. right. Thought for the week, mate. And I'll fess up this time. This is not a quote from someone else. This right. is this is a quote from me. You're right. Based on and getting just a little bit serious for a moment, but based on the years mm. I spent working in disability support and so on. A very important thing was a question about whether people with disabilities should still be able to have the right to take risks. Risks, right, yes. And there was an argument both ways going around and so on, and and I know which side of the argument I fell on. But So my little quote for the week, which is something I thought up all by myself, is this. Okay. There is no greater human right than being free to take risks. Remove a man's right to take a risk and you take away his freedom. That's true. I agree with that. Hmm. Everyone's got the right to be stupid. I think I might write a book of Andy quotes. There's one. <laughs> I think you should. Yeah. Well, you're off to a fine start. I mean, as you say, as you say, we have a right to live our life in the way we see fit, and as long as whatever you do yep. doesn't affect me, yep. why would I have a right to tell you you can't do it? Exactly. You know, exactly. it's a, it's, a, it's a fundamental freedom hmm. to be able to decide to do what you want to do, as long as it affects no one else. Hmm. So, yes. Yeah, hey. I agree with you, mate. Good, good. Well done. Go, yeah. Okay. All right, buddy. Well, thank you. That's been educational, uh, thought-provoking and mildly amusing. We strive to please. We, we do. really do. We really do. I've got a bit of news for you, actually. You what? We've got a bit of, I've got a bit of news for, for you, actually. Like personal news for, for you okay. and for us. We may have to clean our act up a little bit. Why is that, mate? Well, because uh, there's a chap who, who does cleaning products for trucks has been on the phone to me talking about sponsoring our news segment on the podcast. Oh, wow. So uh, he wants us to... Uh, <laughs> he basically said we need to clean our act up. I don't know what, he, I don't know what he's talking about, but... You know, no more truck horns, yeah. No more truck horns. Wow. Very, very exciting, mate. Very It'd exciting. it be interesting to see what he's after as far as cleaning up the act is concerned. Anyway... He reckons he, he reckons he's going to send me some cleaning products. All right. So uh, stand by. That's good. All right, mate. Take care of yourself. I'll uh, catch up with you later on. Sure will. Take it easy. April 1979 and a cast of thousands of disillusioned truckies were making history, setting up a series of blockades the likes of which had never been seen before and most likely will never be seen again. Led by Ted Greenog Stevens and a small band of dedicated individuals, this massive wave of protest against unreasonable working conditions, unfair pay rates and unjust laws spread like wildfire from its home base atop Razorback Mountain. Razorback, The Real Story is the book written by Ted Stevens that chronicles the dramatic days of the blockade, the battles with politicians and the media, and that time in history when truckies around the country united in a powerful force and said, enough. 
Razorback The Real Story has now been made into a beautifully produced audiobook, available for purchase at ontheroadradio.com.au. Whatever you do, don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to discover all the facts and details of the Australian trucking legend that is simply known as Razorback. G'day, it's Andy here with another great new Aussie music talent to introduce you to. Our guest this week grew up in the mid-north coast of New South Wales and picked up a guitar at a young age and from that point on knew that his future would see him writing and performing songs about his two great loves, the country and the coast. His brand new debut single just released certainly blends the two in a track that's fresh and catchy and uplifting. Described as irresistible country bop, the song reminds us that we need to stop procrastinating and make more time for the things that we love. Now beyond performing his own music, he works as a hired gun session guitarist for other artists, as well as using his skills in photography and videography to create music videos and album cover artwork. Additionally, he's a very successful architectural design draftsman. He's certainly one incredibly talented and creative individual on so many levels to say the least. Focusing on writing and recording even more new music this year, there's little doubt we'll be hearing a lot more in the years to come from our special guest, Mr. Jackson James. G'day, Jackson. Thanks for joining us on the road. It's great to be here having a chat with you, mate. Buddy. Born into a country music family around Port Macquarie, I guess your destiny was pretty much settled right from the start. Yes, well, music, you know, is definitely in my blood, um, you know, multiple generations. And, you know, I was, I was thrown on stage, for, you know, from a young age, around four years of age. And my grandparents used to throw these huge parties in their backyard and, you know, have anywhere between five and 15 people on stage at once. And it's pretty awesome to have that as a kid. Yeah, for sure. You've said you were influenced in the early years by musical megastars like the Eagles, Jack Johnson, Pete Murray. They're some pretty fine songwriters and performers, but having said that, you've certainly got a sound that's unique and very much your own. Yeah, it's taken me a little bit of time to, you know, find the style that I really love. Over the years, I've played blues, I've played jazz, country, pop. I've played it all. Sure. I actually love all the genres. You know, even through high school, I played, you know, even punk. Yeah, okay. Blink 182 and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I absolutely love country music and it's, you know, a funny story. I started playing session guitar and I was recording for various artists and they kept saying to me, can you make it less country? <laughs> and at that point, I realized that it's just in me and I, I just love it. That was when you knew you had to put down the Telecaster and pick up the Strat. Uh, mate, I've got, I think we're up to 19 guitars now. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about buying another one. So I've got two tellies and I'm just about to buy a new one. So oh, brilliant. I think it's probably my favorite, if not the Gibson 335. Yeah. Oh, mate, you've got to have a collection. I'm a bit behind you. I'm only up to 13. But my friends and I have started building our own guitars. We put a little Luthier's workshop together and a couple of nice things happening. I built a lovely telly and I'm just process of building a double cutaway telly at the moment. P90 pickups in it with a Gibson neck on it. So it's quite unusual. Wow, that's unique. Yeah, it's coming together quite well. We have a little theory and it's based on the formula of N plus one. So N being the number of guitars you already have <laughs> plus one. 
So if you've got five, then you're going to need a six. If you've got 140, you're going to need the 140 first. And it's the way we get it past our wives, you know, <laughs> works quite well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, luckily, my partner is also a musician, and I just tell her that it's okay if she plays them. So oh, easy. it's a win-win. <laughs> For sure. Now, mate, away from the music, you've got a background in photography and videography, so obviously your creativity is pretty extensive and diverse, and I guess those skills are pretty handy to have as a music artist as well. Oh, totally. The photography and videography thing all came about out of necessity. Yeah. You know, I could see that the industry was going to be driven by content years ago, uh-huh. and I kind of got ahead of the curve, and I just did it. I just worked hard at it. And then all of a sudden, it basically took over my full-time career. You know, I did architecture and structural engineering for 15 years before that while chipping away at music. Mm. Now, I've got to make mention of it because you mentioned it earlier before we came on air. I've been a motorcycle fanatic since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. You've done some motorcycle racing as well. I did, yeah. I raced motocross for around three years from around 18. Yeah. Yeah, I always wanted a motorbike, and as soon as I was old enough to get a loan and buy one, I think it was like the day after my birthday, I went and went and bought a motorbike, and music was kind of on hold for a little bit at that point because I was obsessed with racing, and that was my life for a few years. Yeah. I quickly learned that getting hurt, breaking my wrists, and you know, almost cutting my fingers off in a chain once, <laughs> that put a stop to it because I was never going to be a professional motocross rider, but I could definitely have a shot at being a professional musician. And you're going to need your fingers for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty careful around power tools these days as well. Yeah, well, I always used to think motocross riders either had massive balls or were just mad, and I think there's a combination of both, isn't it? <laughs> or no brains. <laughs> <laughs> They're missing that fear element. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, we're going to have a listen to your new single, Get Around to It, shortly. But before we do, can you fill us in on how the song came together? What was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, so the inspiration, you know, really came off the back of being on the road pretty much since COVID, you know, we were let out. Yeah. I tour and I play full-time with my partner, Melanie Dyer. She's an amazing songwriter and country pop artist. She absolutely is. And luckily for me, I get to work with her and I get to travel all over the country. We've been so busy. If we're not on the road, we're creating content, music videos. If we're not doing that, we're planning. So it's just there's never any time out. Yeah. We often talk about what it would be like if we were just nine to fivers, having time like some of our friends to be able to just get around to booking a trip, having a weekend off and not feeling guilty about it. Mm. And that's really where the song came from. It's a reminder to stop and smell the roses every now and then. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a very positive message that flows through it. Did the song come together pretty quickly for you or has it been simmering away for a while and you just now got around to it? Pardon the pun. (laughs) Yeah, it was done and dusted within the space of three days. Wow. But we only worked on it. So the the guitar riff and the bass line, the whole song started from the bass line. Yeah. Also in recording as well, like that's the first thing that we locked in because it's just the drive behind the whole composition. Mm. But yeah, I I came up with a guitar riff on the way out the door. I'm always most creative when I shouldn't be. (laughs) We're late to a party and yeah, I just sort of had this riff and then I quickly recorded it on my phone and then it was the next evening we sat down and we pretty much built a track for it and wrote most of the song that next night and then just polished it the next day. Great. It's it's wonderful when it comes together like that. Oh, I wish they were all like that. Yeah, indeed. So what does the rest of 2023 hold in store for you, mate? Touring, more writing, more recording? All of the above. Right. We've got a lot. So we head to Nashville in less than a week, a few days actually from, you know, when we're chatting today and 
we're going to be over in Nashville to play at CMA Fest. Oh, wonderful. Melanie's on CMA Fest with the biggest and the best in the world, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. We've got a lot of friends over there, so we're going to catch up with them and we're riding and yeah, hanging out with like-minded people and we might even find time to get around to, you know, go on to Dollywood or do a bit of a road trip. Why not? Yeah, that's up first. And then when we get home, we are heading out to the Big Red Bash, Monday, Monday Bash. We're playing on Great Keppel Island for the country on Keppel. Nice. And then I'll be starting everything on my new single, which will be October, November time. Excellent. Can't wait. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll get to chat with you around then after when that comes out as well. Yeah, sounds great. Jackson, where can we find more information about you and your music and updates regarding tours, gigs, etc.? Most of the stuff that I do, I guess running stuff, is all through my Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's the, sort of the main platform that people watch stories and all that. So it's just Jackson underscore James with a double underscore on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook, my website, or streaming through Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and all the, the major platforms. You got it well and truly covered. Oh, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do indeed. Our special guest this week has been the multi-talented Jackson James. Jackson, thank you very much for sparing us some of your time to come out and play on the road with us. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. Now, we've talked enough about it. Let's hear the new song. Would you be good enough to introduce it for us, please? This is Jackson James, and this is my brand new single, Get Around To It. We never took that trip or fell that summer sand Your little red bikini didn't get to leave a tank No sipping margaritas, no kissing on the beach Somehow we always let it get out of reach Yeah, we could blame the weather or a hot day at work Or feeling weighed down by the state of the world We could wallow in our pity and rust in the Stop making excuses and just start doing Think it's time, think it's time We get around to it We said we'd get away Leave the week behind Check into a room and check out for night But no sunset jacuzzi No California king We wind up way too tired In the rules, or stop making excuses and just start doing. Think it's time, think it's time we get around to it. Think it's time, think it's time we get around to it. It's about time. Time to waste over one of these days. 
We're gonna wish that we didn't blame the weather for a hard day at work or feeling weighed down by the state of the world. Oh, Halloween, I pity rust in the air. We should stop making excuses and just start doing biggest time. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching other trucks roll in Then I watch them roll away again I've been backed up to this dock all day Just watching the other trucks roll away I've been sitting at the dock all day Just wasting time I left my Looks like nothing's gonna go my way I've been sitting at the dock all day Just watching the other trucks roll away I've been sitting at the dock all day Just wasting time Looks like nothing's gonna change I can't do what dispatch wants me to do So I guess I'll just make them pay Sitting here with dispatch on hold Lord, you know that this shit's getting old Two million miles I've roamed Just to make this truck my home I've been Watching the other trucks roll away I've been sitting at the dock all day Just wasting time Yeah, I'll hold it
Hi there. Um, the something to talk about you're about to listen to uh, was recorded on the 8th of May. The uh, Saturday night live session referred to happened on the 6th of May when Rod Hanapy called in and uh, the interesting discussion I talk about took place then. Just a clarification because this uh, this something to talk about had to wait for all the other uh, items in, um, intervened like the truck show and all those other important things that uh, have been so much fun for everybody. Hi there, this is Bob McMillan. Um, <clears throat> there might be a few uh, sound effects tonight in the background. Uh, I'm by the campfire out in the bush, not far off a, uh, a main road, so there'll be the odd heavy and vehicle going past. I hope it doesn't uh, ruin the uh, the recording. Um, I've been uh, driving all day and uh, I've had plenty of time to think. The uh, live uh, session on Saturday night uh, on On The Road Radio was uh, was quite lively and interesting and um, I'd uh, I'd like to sort of clarify uh, my feelings about it all. Um, I didn't listen to it live, I uh, listened to it on the podcast today as I was driving along as I uh, decided to enjoy the magic round on Saturday night and uh, happy that I did. It was a, a great occasion uh, for those of us that love NRL. Anyway, <coughs> I digress. Um, the uh, Early in the discussion, um, Mike Williams mentioned to Rod that uh, I was of the opinion that uh, committees were uh, a great way to uh, for governments to slow things down and send people, whoever they are, representatives, a lobbyist, whatever you want to call them, whoever you want to think about, uh, up bush tracks, which is a favourite trick of bureaucrats and bureaucracies and... Uh, things that I've learnt from experience over my years involved in the industry politics and uh, all that goes on with it. But anyway, uh, I am of the opinion that, uh, and and Mike quoted me accurately, I'm of the opinion that uh, if governments want to slow things down or uh, um, pretend to be doing something when they're not doing much at all, um, committees are a good way for them to go about it. And of course they have a different point of view to us. They're only there for three years and uh, if they can delay things for three years, that takes a lot of weight off their shoulders and all these things that sound cynical and nasty, but uh, sadly they're true. And those who know me know that I'm not cynical, I'm not nasty. I t- try my hardest to be positive, but uh, I do like to be honest, even if it hurts. Anyway, um, my statement and my thoughts about that are not in any way critical of Rod or Craig, or anyone else on the on the uh, uh, rest area committee, or any other committee for that matter. Uh, I admire uh, Rod and and um, Craig's enthusiasm and and positivity, and I hope that that uh, is uh, the same. Uh, I hope that all the other members of the committee are uh, as enthusiastic and positive as they are. But I, uh, the question I have. And I will answer it at the end of this after I give you a little bit of a history lesson. The question I have is, uh, why do we need a road, uh, uh, sorry, a, a rest area committee at all? And that is the question that needs to be answered. Now, to go back in history, in 1974, there were savage floods in Brisbane. 
Christmas Eve 1974 saw um, Cyclone Tracy hit Darwin and send a, a very serious rain depression right down through the Northern Territory and south from Darwin and, and south, well, southwest, southeast from Darwin sort of thing and right down through Western Queensland. And so the floods of, in, in the, in, in Brisbane, in the Brisbane Valley and the regional areas in 74 and, and then, uh, the results of Cyclone Tracy in 75 left Queensland in an absolute mess with all its unsealed roads. Um, two things happened after that. It was decided that they needed to mitigate the flood risk in Brisbane and Wyvernhoe Dam was, was built. Um, the five years between 1975 and 1981 saw more, more roads, more unsealed roads sealed in Queensland than I think has ever been achieved before or since. Those things didn't happen with a committee. The government saw that they needed to happen and made them happen as part of their responsibilities as a government of the day. And okay, they had, a, they had to have uh, consultants and all sorts of things to uh, organise Wyvernhoe Dam and um, they, uh, they had to find the funding to uh, seal all those bush roads as they did. And um, I experienced those roads before they were sealed and I obviously experienced them for many years after. And uh, um, they were motivated by the, by the, uh, um, the events of the time. But uh, even so, they didn't have a committee, or need committees, they didn't appoint committees and they didn't uh, um, pretend to be doing stuff when they weren't. And it goes on from there. In 1979, Sir J.B. Oakley-Peterson went out to the blockade at Arachula and he said to the boys out there when the blockade was two or three days old, I can't remember the exact date, uh, Paul Bagini or uh, um, one of the other boys out there, Paul's dad or one of the other boys out there um, might re remember. Um, anyway, um, Sir Joe didn't need to form a committee. He just said to the boys... Well, if you let the trucks keep running in Queensland, we'll, uh, we'll drop road tax. And, of course, Joe Bjorkney-Peterson dropping road tax at the drop of a hat like that without committees and without anything else, just acting on the spot, um, that put the pressure on the other states. And, of course, we know the results from there. Um, and, and it goes on and on. You know, in, in uh, 89, when the bus crashes happened, we'd all been going crook about the Pacific Highway and the, roads, the state of roads in New South Wales. New South Wales had instituted a stay safe committee and uh, I don't know that the stay safe committee saved one life but uh, when all the bus crashes happened after you know the pleas were ignored by the government that something needed to be done um, we didn't need a committee they just got busy and built you know and it, okay they said it to be 10 years and it took 38 and it's still not finished but uh, there's been a vast improvement on the Pacific Highway without any committee uh, and that's why it's happened that way. Um, I could go on and on. Um, Neville Rand didn't need a committee to get to threaten to put bulldozers into the blockade at Mount Karingai in 1982, and instead he, instead he sent a heap of Gestapo officers up there with guns and a bad attitude and, and uh, batons to smash truck windows and take them down to Brooklyn as they did. There was no committee. Rand just decided to do it, and he did it. So... I don't have a very healthy opinion about committees because there's a lot of things that have happened without a committee. And my view of the road, of the, uh, 
I keep saying road safety. Well, it is about road safety. Uh, the uh, rest area committee is that the governments, and I mean governments, not just one government, they're all involved, they've realised that they haven't done their job very well. Because if they had done their job, we wouldn't be having all these complaints and all these discussions. And, and by the way, I don't think too many people are whinging about this. I think that's a bit of a put down. I think people are just fed up and so they're having a say. So uh, we'll, we won't go on about whinges, will we? Anyway, um, the governments of the day obviously realise that they haven't done a very good job. They obviously don't intend to do a very good job. Otherwise, they would have got on with it they would be doing things and they'd be following Rod's suggestions like opening up the car, car parking bays in car rest areas in the Northern Territory for trucks and, and, and um, putting toilets in the ones that don't have them, not worrying about building more. Um, there's plenty of improvements to be made that the rest areas we have and there's plenty of uh, things that could be done without waiting for a committee and its recommendations and then there'll be then they'll have to table a report and then that report will have to go to parliament and then they'll have to have debates in both houses of parliament and then they'll have to have a vote and then uh, they're just as likely not to take any notice of any of it because that's how governments work. It sounds cynical, it sounds nasty, but it's true and it's honest and it, it saddens me to say it. So the, to answer the question... Why do we even need a committee? Because governments have been sitting on their hands and, in my opinion, they obviously intend to keep doing so. I really hope that the road, road safety people and, and the road safety advocates like Rod and all the people on the committee, and I admire them all, they've all taken up the uh, baton after I uh, um, realised I needed to get on with doing other things in life. Um, I just really hope they can prove me wrong. But uh, to my way of thinking, uh, I think they're, uh, they're going to find out in, in uh, an, I hope, interesting and maybe a, uh, a challenging way that uh, all, is not as, all, all is not as it seems with uh, being on a committee. Please prove me wrong, all of you. But uh, that's the reason I say that committees are a great way to steady things up for governments, not for the people on them. They, 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 mean, they mean well. They're doing their best and, and they're being positive. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that can get in the way of that positive and that progress that we need to see. And as I said, um, if the governments were fair dinkum, they would have just slotted straight into gear when they realised that they hadn't done well when all the criticism started. But instead, we've got a bloody committee. So... Uh, I hope I'm not sounding too cynical and I hope you can prove me wrong. Best wishes to you all and thanks for listening. I've been asked to write a story about safety ramps. You know, the runoff ramps we see from time to time all over the place. Well, the story that I want to write about it is how some of these ones do get used from time to time. We know the ones, it seems as though they get used. It's that one going down the hill into Adelaide. It's the one at the bottom of the hill at Mount Oosley. And there may be some others that get regular visitors. But the thing that concerns me, and the reason why this story came to be, I think, is that there are a number of these things that are just terrible. I think they're more of a death trap than a safety ramp, if you look at them. They're not well made. They're not wide enough. They're never dressed or tidied up. They're not lit. 
you'd need to be a driver of exceptional skill to get into one of these things without having a really big mess up. What do you think about all that? How ironic you asked me this question, Mike. I was only looking at the one today, halfway down the Cunningham's Gap before the helipad. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you've got all this going on, trying to beat the potential fatal accident. And you've almost got to be a sniper to aim your truck to get up the ramp. They got concrete barriers that close. Yeah, I was just thinking, well, you've got so many parameters you've got to process and six inches either side and you're likely to launch it over the side or, or end up with a concrete barrier through the centre of your chest. Wow. What made me start about this, I had a bit of a trip down the New England a few weeks ago and there's those runoff ramps on Bolivia there, the ones that go down through the Moombies. Yeah, on the wrong side of the road for a start. I mean, that's one issue. You've got no choice about some of that, I know. But very, very narrow. Some of them have got very sharp bends in them. The thing that concerns me about it is these things are supposed to be kitty litter. They're supposed to be soft. You're supposed to run into these things and the truck is supposed to wash off the speed and bury itself in it to its neck, basically, and bring itself to a standstill that way. But even if that happens, just say for the hell of it, you were lucky enough to get into one of these runoff bays... There's no room for emergency services to get any access in there. There's no room for recovery vehicles. Having looked at some of those safety ramps, I'd be more inclined to rub it up against the bank if I had to rather than try and drive it into one of those things. The ones on Moonby, by the time you got to where they are, you'd have that much speed. If you mucked it up, you'd be off the side of it and down the bank and over the cliff, I reckon. Absolutely, Mike. When I first started driving semi-trailers, I remember the boss saying to me, there's a few rules that he lived by. One was... If you put a can of Coke on the dash and it slides going around a corner, you're going too fast. Yep. B, if all else fails, pull the yellow button, pull your air brakes. Yep. And if that doesn't work into the side of the bank, you're better off laying the truck on its side against the cutting rather than trying to recover it at the bottom of a ravine. Yeah, that's right. So I'd agree with your assessment there. The other thing I was taught, I don't know about some of these young blokes, but I was taught you go down the hill and the gear you go up it in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you're in fourth gear going up it, then you're in fourth gear on the jake going down it. Now, that's what I was taught anyway. I don't know what anyone else has taught. Same here, mate. My last trip to Perth had a, an aerodyne and I was having electrical engine harness problems and I actually lost me jakes halfway down Greenmount. Oh, awesome. When you got 65 tonne and I was just a, a smidgen under 65 tonne because Sejuna Weybridge weighed me, it's just amazing how quickly you pick up speed Luckily, the boss kept the truck in good nick and I had good brakes, but I ended up back in first gear bottom box to hold that truck to stop the engine over revving and, and overheating the brakes. I didn't get taught that in truck driving school. Well, this is what worries me. These guys, they drive these automatics. Look, automatics are a beautiful thing, but the times I've driven an automatic, I drive it with the background of knowledge that I've got from driving a manual truck. And knowing what I need to do and knowing that I need to be in manual when I go over the hill here and I knowing that I need to have the engine brake on and lock it into a gear and pick what gear I need to be in and all that sort of stuff. But if you're a new bloke and you've got the automatic Volvo or the automatic Mercedes or MAN or Kenworth, whatever it is that you've got, you're not being taught that and you're probably not even aware. You don't even know what you don't know. You, you know what I mean? I certainly know what you mean, mate. I saw, you know, those trucks with getting up and down the highway. <laughs> I saw two of them one night go down the gap. They were obviously light, but they passed me in the overtaking lane. Mm. I always come up heavy out of down south, so I was down in about fifth, sixth gear, yeah. not touching me brakes. 
and I, I watched the brake lights all the way from the top to the bottom of the gap. Yeah. And I just shook my head and I thought, wow, really? Yeah. And you get that Vegemite smell, mate. <laughs> That's the one. It just worries me, you know. So I'm going to write a bit of a story about it. And I'm going to talk to some of the boys at the RMS about it. Some of these things, I wonder about the placement of them. I want to find out why they get placed, where they get placed. I don't even know if there's a standard. I'm going to have to find out a little bit more about this. I've seen that one at Mount Oosley get used several times over the last few years. And even that one, even though it's pretty good and it gets pretty regular use, it doesn't get dressed and tidied up after each one and made ready for the next incident because there's always going to be one. It will happen. When you least expect it, yeah, that's it. Mm. The one at the Gap, there's that much weed and everything growing through it. Mm. And with the rain that we've had, it wouldn't be surprising if that kitty litter is actually packed down a little bit. Yeah, solid. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't slow you down much at all. Not really fit for purpose, is it? No, mm. I don't think so. I oh, know. Well, leave it with me, mate. I'm going to find some answers. That'll be interesting to hear what they've got to say. Yeah, I don't know where to start, but I'm going to start somewhere. If anyone who's listening can tell me where to start, please give me a ring. I'd love to hear it. Take care of yourself, mate. Keep it upright and don't use a sand trap. You too. <laughs> you too. Have fun. <laughs> Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Taking us out of the show this week, here's the brand new single from the lovely Aussie songstress Tammy Moxon with Fighting Chance. If we can break this wave of heartbreak Step away from the same old dance Find the strength to talk this over We'll have a fighting chance While this silence rages between us Tunnel from the flatlight to dark Love that cannot bend Is this really what that's falling apart? We can break this wave of heartbreak Step away from the same old dance Find the strength to talk this over We'll have a fighting chance Fighting 
is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. 